Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today's guest, my God, are we lucky to have this guest here. Uh, Andre Kakowski is one of the most respected and accomplished global architects and designers. He's won over 50 international design awards, has been featured in over a thousand articles in 30 countries. Andre, you've been busy. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. It is my pleasure. You know, it's uh, it's funny. We just uh, we met through some really great mutual friends recently. Uh, we've hit it off on a house on fire and uh, it's this beautiful friendships that's developing. But Eric Levy is also someone who was on uh, this show. And so uh, we just met uh, recently. But I want to start in the beginning with you because you have had such an amazing career. And I want to know how you got started with architecture and design, because in the little that I've known you, you have mm -hmm. such amazing intellect. And I know that I've started did a little bit of research on you and your designs yeah. have yeah. such a great intellect behind them. Tell me how you got started in all this. Uh, well, you're so kind to say that. And uh, I do agree I'm with you. I'm just observing. Well, <laughs> call, call it as you will. Right? <laughs> and, I, and I do want to say also how great it is that like this is still a, uh, a business, whether you're on the real estate side, the yeah. design side, that really relies on referrals and networks of people you know and trust, like our friend, our mutual friend, Eric Levy. And there's something really beautiful about that. Yeah. You know? Um, I really appreciate it. The, the emphasis on knowledge and expertise is really important. Um, but to get back to your main question, like where did it all begin and how? Uh, I think very simply, uh, you know, I, I, I had a really cool opportunity when I was younger because I grew up near a very old historic American town, uh, Deerfield, Massachusetts, which was settled in the 1600s. And so the houses there weren't like other houses. You know, they were built when nobody lived in America except the Native Americans. Uh, you know, harsh climate. We heard the stories about how the snow drifts and the cold winters and the, you know, the, the New England settlers. And that kind of like gets you thinking a little bit about what it's like to live in a place like this. And then when we left this like very charming historic part of New England, uh, we would go visit my mom's family who were living in the Middle East. So we would go to Roman ruins in Baalbek and Lebanon and like Aleppo, Syria, and always stop off because in those days there were no direct flights uh, in Rome and Paris and London. Uh, so it was like endless fascination with the places we were seeing, with the smells, the scents. Like there was some guy who would walk by uh, in front of my grandmother's like beautiful apartment building in Beirut, luxury high rise views of the Corniche. There was a guy who had like a push cart full of fresh fruit who would scream every morning, you know? And it's these kinds of things that you don't normally see as a little kid in like uh, colonial, in a sort of colonial rooted part of New England that, that made it really interesting and really dynamic. And, and I think travel is all, it's all, it's everything. It, it gives you inspiration. It gives you context. Um, it shows you that there's a bigger world. And I think that that really uh, resonated with me and continues to resonate with me. But what a beautiful juxtaposition, right? Where you have that 
America from the 1600s, that was where you were so fortunate to grow up in. And then you have your familial sort of background with Europe and you mix the two and you start creating this mosaic of mm -hmm. just your own vision of where design was. So tell me then how you started. So that was the basis. What was the first design job? Uh, well, uh, professional or amateur. <laughs> sure, jump in. Uh, as uh, I think I was maybe 10 or 11 and I became a little bit obsessed with like motorhomes well ahead of the tiny house movement. Um, and, and I convinced my parents that we should rent a motorhome and drive it somewhere. And then there was a magazine about motorhomes. There's a motorhome design competition, which I entered in one. Wait, uh, come on, at 10? Yeah, yeah, 11, I think. But it was a little <laughs> oh, bit- Oh, that makes a, a whole bit, world of difference. Yeah, yeah. But I was way ahead of the whole tiny house movement, right? That's insane. Uh, yeah, it was fun. And and uh, it just sort of came in, like, you know, always loved anything around buildings, drawing buildings, drawing houses, Lego sets. Uh, you know, it's just like, it, it always fascinated me. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I took a couple painting. I took an architecture class in high school, put it aside, took a painting class. But it wasn't until I got to college that I realized that I was very interested in the built environment. Uh, that the quality of the built environment, when you're looking at a new building, it's a development or a private home, the choices, the finishes, uh, there's so many like thoughtful opportunities to take advantage of. And as I really thought through the implication of all that, I realized I, I really should like look at architecture. And I did a little summer program uh, while I was in college, loved it, uh, came back, changed my major, uh, and everything just rolled out beautifully from there. Um, so some, sometimes there are like great opportunities uh, just from following your intuition. That like, is following so your gut. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, listen, you have actually studied with some of the most amazing masters, and that does not happen by accident. So you study with I.M. Pei, with Richard Meyer, with Peter Eisenman. It's sort of like, tell me how that started. Because those are the largest names in our society for this world. Well, you know, um, like you hit on it a little bit before. My, uh, uh, you know, I, like the life of the mind has always been very important to me. Yeah. Uh, ideas, ideas matter. Like uh, whether you're like writing a poem or a book, or you know, like like content matters. Yes. Um, and so, uh, you know, and when you have the opportunity to see things that are like thousands of year old and still beautiful, um, you know, there's, there's something kind of perplexingly fascinating about that. Uh, so I just like have been so fortunate to cultivate these opportunities where respected practitioners who have their own points of view, um, you know, have, have, have created places where I have been able to grow and learn. Um, and it's, it's all about a deep respect for the place. Um, it's all about how you shape a city. It's all about how you put your own spin on the past. Um, all of these uh, places where I did my apprenticeship um, all had their own ideas about what their relationship is to architecture and the built environment and cities, but really at a bigger level, what are they, what is it you're trying to create? What is it you're trying to say? And, and how is it that you're 
like making the world a better place. One of the things I like absolutely adored about working for IMP is anytime we started a project, uh, and they were like generally larger urban design projects, uh, you know, urban analysis before we got to the building. Uh, if there was a public space, we would always overlay for scalar reference uh, St. Mark's Square in Venice. Uh, you know, uh, the the main uh, walkway at Rock Center. Yeah. Um, you know, like like all these like dimensional cultural references, so we could understand the scale and how it would feel. And because you know, architecture is ultimately a, a discipline that's about emotion and about. Uh, the experience of space, even if you don't know the theory behind the experience of the space. Um, so these very palpable practitioners who really understood uh, we are creating real spaces, we are creating uh, real places for people to come together. And there's so many things we have to get right. And I think that's really been a huge part of how we think about design and how we think about creating community in our work. In fact, there was something that was on your website and I thought it was brilliant. And, you know, some of your client list has been phenomenal. You have the Guggenheim Museum, Hudson Yards, the Howard Hughes Corporation, Linier Rose. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And so one of the things that you had on your website, I did a little bit of research, Andre, and I want to get this right. You had said um, you produce architecture that unifies people activating their senses and creating emotional connection points. I thought that was brilliant because that well, says a lot. And it is a lot about you too. Expound on it, that a little bit. Well, you know, you, you, you walk into a place. Yeah. Uh, you look at a building, um, you know, like how many times we like cross the threshold into something or walk by a building. And, uh, it's easy to not notice it. It's easy to be like, okay, like whatever, but all more of the same. But, you know, in our mind, it's an opportunity to really think about um, how can this be different? How can this be special? You know, um, uh, people along the way have taught me there should be something special about what you're doing. Otherwise, why do it? Exactly. Uh, so at 75 Kenmare, we put a lot of effort and energy into a contextually appropriate skin to our building um, that like hearkened into the tradition of masonry around Nolita and Little Italy, but was also like utterly contemporary and really cool. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in like being present, being fully present, being in the moment. Um, and so having, having a building that like really responded to the progression of sunlight across, across our corner location seemed pretty interesting. Um, and we also had to look at, uh, the, you know, some cost construction issues and settled on how we would create a skin out of concrete and then create this like highly nuanced, uh, very textural skin uh, you know, is if like Robert Irwin, the conceptual artist from the light and space movement of the 60s and 70s in California would work in concrete, what would he do? Like we ask ourselves these kinds of questions and sometimes they're a little esoteric, but they produce really beautiful things. And I was talking with our photographer one day as we were doing some shots and like, we need, we need a picture of people like walking, arms folding, you know, stroking their chin, 
looking at the building, like maybe we can like get some models to do that or something. And just as I said that it happened, you know oh what I mean? Gosh. People just stopped and appreciated it. Um, at, uh, at one Hudson yards, we also felt that like, we want to create this like uh, threshold related said, design this whole new building for us. This is the hallmark of our take of luxury uh, and what Hudson yards should be. Uh, and so we, you know, we said this has to be the threshold to its own little universe. So, uh, so like we wanted people to walk in and have a visceral reaction to the space um, in the same way when you drink a glass of great wine or you eat something delicious or you look at a painting or you listen to music, you don't have to know uh, the chemical composition of the acids and the tannins in your glass of wine. You don't have to know the chordal harmony or you know dissonance in the music it just hits you yes. right and i think that's that's really what we want to do is we, we want to understand how to work with like banal things like concrete how to craft space with artistry to create emotion because otherwise we're space planners right you know? i mean I, I i i believe so strongly in the integration of art and architecture in material and how you handle things. There's one story I love uh, from grad school. We were studying uh, the Duomo and Brunelleschi and uh, apparently he was trying to communicate. Uh, I mean, it was like, what, like how many years, tens, hundreds of years that they didn't know how to put the dome on the Duomo. So Brunelleschi had the idea and was trying to explain to the Masons, like, you know, cut it this way. And, um, I think there was a look at this and there was a look at this, right? But nothing was, <laughs> nothing was happening, right? <laughs> so this story, this story goes, a bystander recorded that he like grabbed a stick and drew in the stand, in the sand and still nothing. And then he grabbed a stick out of a fire and drew on an animal hide, still nothing. And this mason was eating his turnip, his boiled turnip for lunch. And he grabbed the turnip and cut it exactly the way he wanted them to cut the stone. Like, oh, and thus we have... <laughs> The Duomo, right? I mean, the Romans, like the Pantheon is one of the most exquisite spaces in the world, I think, in Rome. And, you know, the, what, what these guys did, understanding building, like thousands of years ago, endures. So, so you can't really separate, like, technical expertise from artistic expression, um, you know, so... so. That's so beautiful. What, what you were just saying, you just animated an edifice by sort of saying that you looking at the skin of the building, when you start sort of making that so lifelike, that is the true artistry of what that is. And I think that is so beautiful. And you just mentioned something which might've been my next question and you might've already answered it. And asking really what you think the most incredible, let's call it inspirational, structure sure. and architecture is in your opinion and why oh i mean it's so it's so hard because there's so many amazing yeah, structures all over question. the world yeah i mean the the pantheon is absolutely amazing breathtaking um you know like you could spend an entire lifetime like in rome admiring the architecture uh you know first of antiquity then of the baroque uh, you know, and, and you would never run out of things to see. And then you would go to the early modernists, like the Casa del Fascio, amazing. Um, so, so, um, you know, it's sort of like 
favorite song, but I mean, I think that, I think the Pantheon is like sort of hard to beat uh, a little bit cliche. I think Aya Sophia is like a powerful, powerful space that has no precedent to it. Um, like, you know, like the Pantheon. I mean, I, I think sure. I was there like, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, and the memory of the light pouring into the space, the pure innovation of it, um, it's not following any precedent. Um, it's, it's like re- adapted and reused from one religion to another. I mean, this, I think, I think that also hits on a lot of, um, a lot of themes that are important to us and what we do. Uh, inventiveness, originality, um, not necessarily following the precedent or following the terms, but, you know, every time I think of, uh, of the uh, Pantheon, I think of there's a ceremony that they do. I think it's in March. I, I don't remember the date exactly, but they throw rose petals through the Oculus. Right. And so I've been there. I've been there when it snows through there, which is sort of super cool. Can you imagine like rose petals like dropping through the middle oh of the Oculus? Like, is that not like the most insane, beautiful thing you've ever heard of? That yes, right? yeah. So, so that's. I mean, it's like when architecture like crosses the line when it, when it gets emotional. Um, the uh, Islamic architecture, uh, you know, the Middle Ages uh, sure. when we were burning when we were burning women on stakes for being witches and men in medieval Europe and Western society. You know, uh, Islamic architecture would have waterfalls falling in front of niches where they would put candles and they would do the most incredible, sophisticated things with like water and candles. Right. And again, taking it to a place that's emotional, taking it to a place that's special. Right. So when we're working with a client building their dream compound, the house that they've waited to build for their family and the next generation and the next generation, the house that they want to build for themselves. It's all about like, let's make it special. Let's make it emotional. Let's make it unique. Right. It's, 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 yeah. Like it's not about cookie cutter and it's not about like what everybody else is doing. And it's not about the trends. It's like what really matters to you. Yeah. Right. I don't think you can ever be accused of being cookie cutter. (laughs) right exactly right but that's the fun of it right and and it's and it's and it's fascinating because like concrete so malleable and nobody really explores it you know know what i think is 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 interesting so tell me a little bit about this you have designed all over the world right Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. you have a certain aesthetic you want people to feel something you want it to have an emotion you want whatever you're looking at designing as an architect or designing interior, whatever that might be to have an effect. But now because you're designing all over the world, you must have some sort of a cultural influence that happens from wherever you are geographically. Does that exist for you? And if so, in what capacity does it exist? If you have a client in, in, in mainland China, I'm assuming it's gonna be a little different than what you're gonna be doing in Venice, Italy. Well, it's, it's actually kind of fascinating because uh, like, it's, it's like, let's go with China. It's, it's a two-part answer, right? First yeah. is the, like, we did a house in Nanjing, China, uh, which was from the Min Guo period, which is when uh, democracy took root after the emperors ceased and before communism took over. So the house was from this fascinating moment. Uh, when everything was looking Western. So this was basically a a brick Georgian house built in China with Chinese (laughs) motifs, right? Super interesting. 
Uh, so we wanted to respect the history of that. We did a lot of research. I like, it's important to know like, what is the history of a place architecturally, culturally, contextually, so that we can reference that in our work. Uh, but at the same time, we're designing for the clients. And the clients said, after we toured a bunch of villas all over Nanjing that were um, quite elaborate, uh, like, you know, silk curtains embroidered with peacocks, encrusted with crystals, you know, fringed in gold, you know, and that was just on the windows, right? right. The houses were like a celebration of their affluence. Sure. And, the client, and the client said to me, like, look, um, we, we want to be part of a new generation in, of taste in China. We want to we shape what a differently what a domestic home environment should be. They bought one of these three historic villas uh, of hundreds in a UNESCO World Heritage Site, only three held privately. They held one of it. And they said, meticulous restoration of the outside, please. But inside, like state-of-the-art modern, right? Wow. Uh, and I said, what are, what are your references? They said, well, you know, we wear Prada and Laura Piana and Cuccinelli. So, so we, you know, we have, we have a G wagon. And, and so, right. so through fashion, through consumer culture, which is a big deal in China, they had a sense of vision of what they wanted. So we had to marry like the historic shell of the house uh, with 1920s Georgian British slash Chinese brick architecture with contemporary Italian fashion. It was kind of cool. That's actually, right? I love that. I love that juxtaposition. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, that's what all of, that's what all of Europe is. You know, yes. you, live, it, you live in a small flat in Paris, in London, in Rome, in a historic building that probably hasn't been renovated, won't, won't ever be demolished, right. but you have some cool, sleek pieces of design that, that make it contemporary. So, so, I kind of like that. I, I like understanding like the best of the past and the best of the present. And we put it together awesome. in a way that, that, that that's what you want. Right. I, I mean, that's, that. that's our job. Yeah. It's, it's my friend, uh, Patricia, um, or, uh, Paola Navone, excuse me. Uh, who's like this fantastic Italian designer and a little bit kooky. And we were together on stage in India, uh, uh, doing a presentation in Mumbai uh, before COVID. And she said, come to me, I'm going to make you an omelet. I'll make you a great herb <laughs> omelet. But if you don't like herbs, my mushroom omelet, my cheese omelet, they're great. You know, I mean, we are so lucky because we get to do so many projects all over the world for so many yes. different types of people, budgets, price points, you know, from a pair of like, you know, 30 story towers to a 1200 square foot house to, yeah. to candlesticks. So, so yeah. the fun is just to figure out what it is that you want, uh, where we're working so we can pay homage to the place. Um, and everything's different. And that's so fun. I think that's so right. fantastic. That's really great. Yeah. So tell yeah. me, Andrew, what's the greatest lesson you've learned in your career thus far? What would you say that would be? The uh, greatest lesson I've ever learned, period, in my life uh, is from rowing crew in college. Yeah. Uh, and that is, you know, you're in the two boats with eight rowers and the coxswain. And you start out neck and neck. And you're, you know, you're training like all year for what is effectively like four to six minute race. 
and as you start to pull ahead, the proxims like gentlemen, we're up a seat, gentlemen, we're up two seats. And then when you there's a little bit of open water between you and the next boat, they start screaming twice as hard, row twice as hard. So I really, I really think the lesson in life is that you can look around and you can be looking at the boat next to you or the, or the runner next to you or the skier next to you, and you can be comparing them to yourself. But what you really have to do is find that open water. And when there's something you love doing, go all out, right? No holds barred, 150%, full intensity, right? Because oh, that's, that. that's, because that's, isn't that what it, what, whether you're selling real estate, like yep. shaping a company, uh, you know, creating a fashion brand, like, like opening a restaurant, writing music. It's like, it's the opportunity to just give everything you have to that act. Um, so that it, you know, no excuses, no apologies. And I think we just right. got the title for this podcast, Row Twice as Hard. I love that. <laughs> I think that's awesome. That's perfect. I, so it works for me. Right? It works for me too. It's good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I have another another question. Now you actually did mention that, right? So we're in the same industry and in different mm -hmm. capacities of it. When we start thinking about real estate, you obviously in architecture and design, more on the brokerage with my side. So for the the people that are listening and following this podcast. Um, tell me a little bit about the three things of advice you would give somebody entering the business today. And well, I'll just keep it very general as far as the real estate business. So you can do it from a design perspective. You can do it from a very, uh, you know, sort of general perspective. But three pieces of advice for coming into the real estate business today. Uh, find the relationships that matter. Find the people who you trust and respect. Um, one of my oldest clients and a mentor for many years said it's very, very simple. The secret to my success is I will not work with anyone on anything if I would not invite them to my house for dinner. And I said, is it really that simple? He's like, it really is. And I've, uh -huh. I've applied that logic ever since I heard it. And it generally works. And once in a while, you're like, well, I wouldn't really like want to have these people to my house, but there's something compelling about it, um, and it never follows through. So relationships, 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 huge, always number one, huge. Uh, advice, and that, I mean, that works in, in all sides of it. Like Works in life. Like, works in life, right? Yes. I mean, as we, as we started the call, it's about the social network that brings you your, your clients, right? Uh, point number two is, I think, like, like, like the passion of it all. Um, I think architecture and real estate uh, development sales all have this emphasis on um, adding value to your clients, serving your clients, um, conceptualizing something that wasn't there. If it's if it's if they're saying like I want a brick Georgian in Nanjing, and you're like no no no, you really want an uber modern villa in Cannes, you know right. what I mean? Like right. it's 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 a little bit of that. Um, but, but just really the ability to be passionate about, uh, like helping in your engagement. Um, and then really thirdly, like keep on learning, right. It's, it's, oh. it's, it's yeah. never, it's never about like, I don't think anyone is ever at a point where you can kick back and say, okay, I'm good now. And, uh, my, you know, when I finished graduate school, I was like, oh, thank God. 
because uh, it was it was grueling. And uh, and I thought, oh, I'll never eat like takeout food again with plastic utensils. Now I can like eat me- real meals, right? Uh, and my father gave me a little plaque, which was what Michelangelo said on his 85th birthday, which was, I'm still learning, right? So the continual uh, quest for knowledge that's going to make you a better professional, you know, a better uh, collaborator, just a better person, right? I mean, it's it like so, so relationships, passion, and knowledge, right? If you that's, can find those three things. I like that. Yeah, right? Yeah, right. that's good. So All I have right, one cool. final question for you, Andre. Sure. Absolutely. In your, what's that? Absolutely. Oh, okay. I thought you were ready. <laughs> In your <laughs> book of life, what is this chapter called? Uh, this chapter, um, is, it's a really, it's a good question, right? Um, I mean, we've, we've just come through like a really strange time in history, uh, that I know we'll look back on that, that was like difficult, complicated, um, isolationist, um, tense, like really, really lonely, complicated time. Uh, with a lot of uncertainty, um, you know, so it's, it's hard not to think about that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, for us, we sort of delved deep into our work, um, uh, found it sort of uh, like a great time to be focusing on our creative projects because there really wasn't much else to do. Uh, but, you know, the construction meetings weren't really happening. The, uh, so, so, so it was really a kind of fun time to go a little bit inward and think a little bit. Um, and now the world is changing. It's opening. Like it's, it's so beautiful. So, so I don't, like, I don't know. I think this chapter, uh, I, I like, I don't know what the titling would be. I don't know what the editor would call it, but this, this chapter is about like waking up, coming back to life, um, finding that because we have the relationships, because we have the passion and because we're like deeply committed to continue to learn, it's a new way to flourish, right? Like oh. how do we, how can we, how can we nourish ourselves? How can we thrive? How can we flourish in this like post pandemic world where we've all learned a lot about ourselves, where we've learned a lot about the people we spend time with, where we've learned how important our domestic environments are to us, our offices, our museums, like our art, our furniture, our pets, right? So how do we learn from all this and just flourish, right? Um, As it comes back to life, right? And the pure joy of just getting people together Right. I can't tell you how many people are like, yeah. oh, my God, I like I don't know what to do this Thanksgiving. It's like I want to see everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I think I, I guess I guess it's like maybe, you know, something sort of cliched, like a time to flourish or, you know, time That's to thrive. So and, this is good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I think it's I think it's what we all want to do. It's like, you know, That's exactly right. Let's let's travel. Let's go out. Let's go to concerts. Let's see our friends. Uh, you know, let's go back to the office sometimes. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Well, I yeah. work virtually, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> there is that. Andre, you are such a fascinating man, and I'm so glad that we got to meet each other and are getting to know each other. And thank you for the time today for this conversation. It was been, it's, it's been so enlightening for me. Well, it's such a pleasure to, to see what you're doing uh, with your company and your platform and like bringing a better solution to real estate globally. Uh, so it's equally a pleasure to have uh, the chance to learn about what you're doing and these, these thoughtful, insightful questions that you ask um, are really kind of interesting because now, now I will be like, hmm, what is our chapter now, right? So, <laughs> so that's, that's exactly. the fun of it all, right? It's it all is the fun people. of it. Absolutely. So thank you so much. We've really enjoyed it. Andre, thank you. And thank you all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez.